This is Twa Teams One Street from the Evening Telegraph, the only podcast as obsessed with Dundee and Dundee United as you are. This week it's back to league business for the United, but Dundee's enforced break goes on. And Scotland's World Cup dream is alive and kicking. That's Hello. Awesome. Well well done, Ewan. Hello, Hello. welcome to this week's episode. <laughs> I'm Tom Duffy, constantly interrupted by Ewan Smith, who's obviously here as usual this week, as is Graham Finnan. Hello, everyone. But George Cran is on his holidays, so he's having a break. I hope you've got your feet up somewhere, George. Anyway, chaps, how are you? I, I'm good. I'm sorry about interrupting you there, and I tried to keep quiet after that. I was feeling I was feeling bad about that. You sorry. should feel bad. You should, that's my moment. That's like I, f- I feel like sort of I'm on prime time when I do the wee intro thing, and you just went jumped right in and went. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Actually, I was that kind of. <laughs> that's to be fair. That's that's how I've been feeling. I'm just glad yes. we're doing the podcast today and not yesterday because uh, I didn't have any voice yesterday after my return from Moldova. Uh, so I'm so glad that we've we've given us uh, me 24 hours grace to try and rediscover my voice. Yes, it's late this week because Ewan's getting older and he needs more time to recover from the vodka, which I see was very reasonably priced in Moldova. More vodka later, hopefully. But first, it's back to club business for United this weekend and the new firm derby at Tannerice. Ewan, they want to get back on a winning track. Yeah, they do. And and this game's quite symbolic because the, the last time the sides met, it was the opening day of the season, and Dundee United didn't have their best of games, let's put that mildly. Um, they got off to a really poor start, and it was Tam Court's first game as this, as a Scottish Premiership manager in a permanent on a permanent basis. Of course, they did have that interim period where they took charge um, last season when there was COVID issues with the coaching staff. But they got off to a really poor start that day, and the fans were down, depressed, and, and some of the fans who had not entirely welcomed his appointment they felt that they were justified in that that day and they felt well this was going to be the start of a disastrous um reign but since that day they've had a turning point since that day and I know they've lost the last two games but the overall picture for Dun United is very positive because um they've got a very defined clear system of play um they're playing a more exciting brand of football um until they lost the last couple of games they were right up there challenging at the top they're still in fourth place um, albeit Hips have got a couple of games in hand. Um, but it's this, this derby, you know yourself over the years. I mean, it's I mean, it's historically from the, the sort of late 70s, early 80s, that's when it really came to fore when, when the two clubs were dominating Scottish football. Um, it's still got a lot to it. It's still a very exciting match. And Aberdeen are up and down. You can't predict their results. So it'll be an exciting game. I'm really looking forward to it. And Bear, you had mentioned them. Um... United lost at Pataudry in their opening league game. But in a funny way, is that a sign of how quickly Tam Courts has won over the fans? Because he lost his first game uh, as permanent manager and there was panic. He's lost the last two and everyone quite rightly is saying it's just a wee blip but are going really well. Shows you how well he's done in the last few months. Yeah, I mean, we'll not go back into the results, Tom, but I mean, they've been phenomenal, haven't they? Leading up, leading up after the Aberdeen game, when, like you and says, I'm sure uh, a lot of United supporters had their heads in their hands and, you know, were beginning to think what sort of season can we expect here? And, and he, he, he turned it around very quickly. And I think there's confidence there now that despite the fact they've lost their last two games, 
the way they've played in the first two or three months of the season suggests that, you know, they will still get results. You know, they haven't suddenly become a bad team overnight. You've got to remember they were playing a top side in, in St. Johnston. They were playing a really strong going Hearts team to, to lose. So it's, it's no as if they've really sort of hit the buffers here. I think, you know, they'll be back on the bus on Saturday. It should, it's, it's set up for a really cracking afternoon because obviously, I mean, Aberdeen are going to bring through, I don't know, possibly up to 3,000 fans to Tannadice on Saturday. There'll be a massive United support as well. So it'll be a, it'll be a cracking atmosphere for what's always a, a ding-dong battle. And I do feel that, you, you know, Aberdeen, is, is, as much as they, they encountered their own problems, Tom, after that opening game, you know, that, that was the opposite for them, yeah. for their fans. They, they, they thought that, you know, Stephen Glass was the new messiah with that result uh, on the opening day of the season and things went a bit pear-shaped after that and he was under real pressure after the, the defeat at Dens Park, you know, three or four weeks back, you know, he really was under severe pressure. His own fans were shooting for him, you know, to get him out. And he came up with three terrific results against, I think it was Hearts, Hibs and, and Rangers, where he collected seven points and, and it could have been nine points. They were, they were, they were harshly done by a, a soft penalty at Ibrox or it could have been nine points. And then, as is sort of the nature of the beast, the fans turned and, and again, he, he was being hailed. You know, he, he'd got things going again. But then they, they get another bad result against Motherwell and the doubts start creeping in. And so, a team performance by all accounts against yeah, Motherwell too. Eh? Yeah, it was, it, it I, I think so as well. So, so it's a really interesting game because you, you can feel sort of the pressure mounting a wee bit on Stephen Glass to, to a point that as well as he did in those games and he took them away from the bottom of the table, another bad result and the fans could start turning again. Ah, they're back in crisis if Aberdeen Yeah, and, and similarly for Tam Courts, I would suggest, that I, I mentioned a mini-crisis, but it's not really a mini-crisis. It's a couple of defeats which can happen to any club in, in, the, in the top flight in Scottish football. But I'm sure at home, you know, United fans will be looking for victory and uh, to get themselves back on the winning trail again. Yeah, Ewan, as, as Bear says there... Uh, United have lost two in a row, but to do two strong teams, first one against St. Johnson, mm-hmm. they basically lost a wonderful performance by the goalkeeper Xander Clark. Maybe slightly more worrying was the Hearts game because they defended badly that day and that's not been a feature of United this, this season. They still attacked and scored a couple of goals, but let in five, but... Had time to work on that. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You see, that hasn't been a feature because I think I wrote. I, I think the statistic was that it had taken them nine games to concede five goals, and then they conceded it in under ninety minutes again. I'll give you a statistic: six minutes thirty-five seconds before your first statistic this week. You're slowing up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm slowing up. Do you know what it's, it's that Moldovan vodka to slow you up a little bit? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think um, you're, you're right to point out that they're, they're two very good sides they lost. To, um, I mean, Xander Clark was absolutely inspired, and I think that. I don't think he would have been in the Scotland game had it not been for that a Scotland squad had it not been for that game. That's that's how good his performance was that day. Um against Hearts, yeah, uncharacteristic a little bit in defence, but so were Hearts as well. Hearts were Hearts were cut open quite a lot at well. Um I'm looking at the fixture list. This is the thing. I'm I'm you know I'm always positive, right? But if I look at it from the opposite end, they really should they really need to win this game because they have got quite a tough run coming up, you know. I mean They've got they've got obviously Aberdeen at home, which we know will be tough. They've got Ross County away. It's never easy to go away to Dingwall. Then they've got a midweek game at Motherwell, um, which probably the midweek thing adds a new dimension to that. And then it's Celtic at home. You know, I mean that's difficult games coming up. You know, for for uh, 
Tam Kurtz. But equally, when they played Aberdeen the last time and they lost to them, their very next game was at home to Rangers, who hadn't been beaten in 41 games. And then they produced an outstanding performance that has set the, the hallmark for the type of team that Tam Kurtz wants to be. The interesting thing for me, though, is we're talking about Stephen Glass as well. Um, they're both obviously new to, new into the job. I mean, Stephen Glass is, is a bit longer into the job at Aberdeen than Tam Kurtz, but they're both at that stage where they're considered rookie managers, um, I guess, at this level. Um, but Tam Kurtz doesn't seem to be under anywhere near the same level of pressure or scrutiny from the Dun United fans as Stephen Glass is. If Tam Kurtz loses this game, it's three in a row. It's really not great, but I don't think the fans will be calling for his head. But Stephen Glass, it's, it's like Bear points out, I don't think the Aberdeen fans have fully accepted him yet. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting dynamic between between the two. Is it? I don't know. Is it false expectation on the part of uh, Aberdeen fans who still expect and demand a team capable of ch- challenging the old firm? But when the reality is, I think it was 1985 they won the league, and they're the last team outside the old firm to win the league. So you, they're asking too much. I think I think uh, you'll have written, well, you you covered Dundee United for a number of years, but I mean there was a period in, in my previous journalistic career where I did cover a, quite a lot of Aberdeen games, and I don't know how many times I, I, I wrote the phrase "a dawn of a new era," you know, to to coin a pun. Um, <laughs> that was your tabloid days. You're with a quality press. <laughs> sorry, sorry, well, it was, <laughs> but it was always a false dawn, wasn't it? That uh, always was oh, a false dawn. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it, it's just there's so many times where you just expect Aberdeen. To come into life because you think of the vast potential you know it's a it's a a club it's the only club in the city uh, Dundee United have obviously got another club just across the the street that we know about um so they've they've got that competing priority it's a smaller Dundee's a smaller city in terms of population so you think that Aberdeen by rights would be a massive club that could that could kick off but they never have quite done it and it probably they're probably burdened a little bit by the expectation levels of their supporters I don't know if, if Bear agrees with that but I think sometimes that when you watch Aberdeen they're almost weighed down by that um, because their fans do think that they should be up there they, they don't think they should just be third they think they should be up there challenging the top two so um, I don't know when I watch Aberdeen I do often see that their fans there is a section of their fans that think we should be up there challenging for titles. And Bear obviously doesn't think. <laughs> I say that's, yeah, no, no, I'd just come in. Yeah, it's, I think undoubtedly that's a feature and it's a historical thing. You and uh, Dundee United are the same uh, to an extent. The heart back to days uh, when they were, you know, winning league titles and winning trophies. But you've got to say now we're pushing on for 35, you know, 40 years since those days and you have to move on. Um, because football doesn't stand still. Football teams don't stand still. You have no, you have no divine right to actually be in the, the top flight. You have no divine right to be in the top six in the top flight. You've got to earn that every single season, and that's tough. And it's tough for Tam Courts, and it's tough for uh, the likes of Stephen Glass as well, because I think there is still a section of the support that expect their club to be there pushing, certainly pushing for top four and for European football. But you forget you've got another eight clubs there as well that are well equipped to take that away from you um, with less expectation. I just say, from my own point of view, if you were to ask, 
this is the difference, I think. If you were to ask a Dundee fan this season, and I would say right from the outset, we know where Dundee are at this point in time. I know this isn't Dundee section, but just to get a comparison, if you were to ask any Dundee fan what success was this season, the vast majority of them would, would, would say if we could finish 10th this season, then we'd take that and move on. Now, we don't think that. If you'd asked a United fan, a similar, or an Aberdeen fan, a similar sort of question and said they'd finish 10th, they would regard that as failure, I would, I would suspect. Um, so there's the difference, yeah. I think, Ben, even last season with United, I, I said this a few times, and, and still now United fans look on last season as, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a failure, but it was dull, it wasn't good enough. Yeah. But they were never in, re- they were, it's their first season back in the Premier League after four years or whatever. They were never in any relegation, no. never remotely in relegation trouble. And there is still, it's it's not as big as the Aberdeen uh, fans, but there's, there's more Aberdeen fans, to be honest. But there was still that section of the United support that thought we should be challenging for the top four. Well, well, we'll get real. The, the, the one club, bizarrely, that seems to buck that trend, Hearts seem to be able to get relegated and come back and challenge. They're doing it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done it before. And challenge at the top right away, but but for for the vast majority of clubs, your first season's up is about consolidation, and United, for me last season had a successful season because they were comfortable for the whole season, and now with a with a manager who's a bit more progressive, they're reaping the benefits of that because now they're able to have a real go because I think there's a confidence in the squad that they are indeed. A good Premier League team, but yeah, Tam. See, can, if I, I come in there, I think is that something to do with the fact that it, Tam, there's a, there's a vision, there's a strategy in place here with Dundee United now that we can clearly see. You know, we can clearly see that they're going to try and bring through young players that develop young players that then may unfortunately may have to be sold on uh, for for vast sums of money, um, but they're going to create a team. Um, that's that's bringing through players that young players that the fans can identify with because maybe some of them have grown up in the local area, some of them are are done United supporters, you know. So maybe that vision. I know it had started a little bit under Mickey Mellon, but I think it was a lot about almost survival. And I think that they yeah. played like a team last season on the, a few occasions. I saw them that didn't express themselves to the levels that they're expressing themselves now. You know, they, they didn't play with the level of freedom of free-flowing football no, that they're not. playing just now. And maybe if you're a supporter, you're paying money, as well as get the results. Results are paramount. They are paramount. You don't win anything without results. But you want to be entertained as well. And I think the United fans over the years have become accustomed to being entertained when they've turned up at Tannadice. And maybe they weren't entertained to the levels that they expect last season. Um, but they are getting entertained this season albeit they've scored only 13 goals so far this season they've only conceded 13 goals but they're playing an open attractive expansive football and maybe you hit the nail on the head there is is the difference between Dundee United and Aberdeen just now apart from quite a few points in the league boom boom um, that the United fans whether it works out or not only time will tell but the United fans see a club with a plan Yeah. if I'm looking at Aberdeen I'm like, where are you and where are you going? And now, to be fair to them, it's the, the, there has been a change of ownership. They've brought Stephen Glass back from America. So we're maybe right at the start of that plan and, and we need more detail, as it were, uh, and we need to see things unfold a bit. But as I say, right now, at Aberdeen, it was like almost they were bored of Derek McInnes. And 
the change so they changed manager rather than they said we need to change manager because we need to go to the next stage in our long term plan for the club. I don't know, maybe that's just my yeah, I'm, too much time on my hands looking at a view. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what you think, but I think that I think there was a, there was a bravery around the selection of Tam Courts. I mean, um, some people initially suggested it was a cheap option. It might have been cheaper than some of the other options that were available, but there was a a, bit, a little bit of imagination shown there, and it did fit in with the strategic plan to bring through young players and develop them. Um, because he knew the, the the setup behind the scenes, he'd been working in the academy for about eighteen months. He understood how it worked behind the scenes, and he understood the kind of level that the players at that at the academy had to get to to get into the first team. Um, so he, so he's a very clever link between the two. Um, but Stephen Glass, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if the I don't know if the the plan was maybe a link up with his with the club back in America, and they thought that they could develop players between the two clubs. That seems to be the case, but. They seem to, on paper certainly, have spent a lot more money in terms of wages um, and bringing players uh, across the water and bringing players from various places than Dundee United have. But Dundee United's um, acquisitions in the transfer market have been far more successful. And they've continued this week with a new... You you did the notes for this week's show and you have to say, I'll go back, you showed your tabloid background. United have signed a wonder kid. <laughs> yeah, they, they have, right? And honestly, by the time this podcast out, hopefully some of the people listening to it will have seen the story that I'm just about to write after this podcast. Um, I spoke last night to um, a very respected TV journalist in Ghana who gave me the background on Matthew Kujo. Now, he's, he's 18 years old. Um, he's played around about 20 to 30 uh, top flight games. He has played for um, the what is regarded as the top side in Ghana, Asante Kotoko. Um, and the interesting thing is he played a game um, against their great rivals, Hearts of Oak. Um, he came off the bench and he had such a dazzling display, there's a tabloid word for you, um, that at the end of the game, he did a lap of honour and in the lap of honour, there was supporters throwing money at him. And there's actually a video that shows the, the throwing money and he got so much money that he had to roll up the bottom of his jersey to hold all the money in, in his jersey. And he walked, so he, I bet he had a great night out in, in Ghana that night when he collected that money. <laughs> and I bet the club treasurer was good. we should be charging more at the gate. <laughs> yeah, most valuable shirt in Ghana that day. Have to, okay. <laughs> but yeah, but, but and, and, and seriously, so okay, I think from what I can gather from the, the type of player he is, he's five foot six, he's got a very slight frame, so... He probably is going to come here and, and Dunn United will look to put him on some sort of training programme and some and look at his diet and everything to build him up a little bit. But he's very technically gifted. He's left-footed. Um, he drifts past players at ease. Um, apparently, he's a very good passer of the ball. He's a creator. Um, and he's been likened by this journalist who did it, who's... He obviously has worked for tabloids in the past because he likes a headline. Um, he's been likened by this journalist uh, to a player like Raheem Sterling or Jaden Sancho in terms of his style and his ability. Um, it's exciting. He was on. He, he trained with Bayern Munich and he was on trial with Bayern Munich at a younger age. Um, you don't get to a level where they're calling you up for a trial and taking you from Africa unless you've got some potential about you. Obviously, they didn't sign him. Um so it's an exciting move by Dun United and I think that's probably one that they're going to look to develop. I don't know if we'll see him make an instant impact in Scottish football, but maybe over time, maybe four, five, six months down the line, we'll see him come on and 
he'll add a bit of flair to the, the, now, the team. You know me, I don't like to be negative, but he's trained with a top European club. He's wanted by all the top European clubs. He's likened to one of the big stars of the day. Two words bear, Walter Rojas. Yeah. Yeah, remember, remember him. I mean, you can yeah, success to say. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> the point I make for yes. for for every wonder kid that becomes a wonder a wonder superstar international by the time they're twenty five. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot that people like us call wonder kids, and it doesn't happen. So, yeah. it's a thing. Should the laddie be left to develop? Yeah, I was going to say that. Let's let's remember this is a young guy who's only eighteen. He's he, he's coming from you know. Canada. To Dundee, that in itself is a is a massive step. Now, uh, yeah, do, do, I mean, just imagine he's coming from Ghana. He's yeah. going to walk into the supermarkets in Dundee, and there'll be empty shelves. Well, I, <laughs> he's going to have to boil the water before yeah, he can drink yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember exactly. the days when we used to have to do that stuff when we changed country. Yeah, I would think the first thing he's he's got to do this morning, and, and I know very little about him other than what Yoon's just said. To be perfectly honest, but the first thing he's going to have to do is get down. Uh, into the into the city centre and buy himself a big winter jacket <laughs> because I'm sure that was what, that wasn't one of the things he brought over in the suitcase from from Ghana. You'll need something to keep himself warm over the next few months in in Dundee. But no, it's an exciting one. Um, I think uh, the one thing you know uh, about him coming to Dundee United and, and Tam Courts is he will get an opportunity. Tam, he, he will be given an opportunity to show what he can do. Now, whether that is that is sooner or later, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the fact that he is slightly built uh, suggests that maybe he will need a few weeks uh, beefing up on the training ground just to see how he, he reacts to the, his environment and, and everything else around him. But uh, you've got to watch you don't throw these kids in too quick and expect too much. I would say that to the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, Ewan was saying that they were throwing money at him in, in, in Ghana in, on his last game, where they could be throwing other things at him if he comes to, to, <laughs> to, to Scotland and, and, and puts in a few stinkers. Um but great. It, might, it might still be money, but it might be aimed at his head rather than his yeah. shirt. I was yeah. going to say, it's not it's, when, when we throw money in Scotland, it's not normally like ah, notes no. like that and stuff like that. No, no, usually it's on a court case. Yeah, that's right. But you, uh, you will get a chance. You will get a chance at Tarrace. I mean, we've seen we've seen Tom Courts isn't frightened to to give lads, regardless of what age they are, their opportunity. We've seen that this season. He's been brave with his selection policy, and to, to an extent, it has paid off for him big style because he's now got a. a, a, a a nuclear, not a nucleus, but he's got quite a number of young players that he'd be, be comfortable putting into that Dundee United side now because he has given them up a chance this season and, and they've not let him down. And I'm sure that'll, that'll be the same for Matthew coming in um, over the next few weeks and months. I think too. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing about Walter Rojas and I have to, very quickly, <laughs> the, one of the, the most horrific but funny things in my football career, particularly because it involved Jim McLean who was watching was the signed Walter Rojas, and they were going, "Oh, he can do this, he can do that, he can, he, he he's corners." More often than not, he just can just have a shot from a corner. You should see him take a corner. So he signed, and bizarrely, they decided he would take a corner. And there's there's a few injured players running around the track, and there's only press uh, and media tannerice. So they say, wait and see how this boy whips his corners in. And it's just like the build-up, the build-up. So he puts down the mitre ball right at the He comes out the tunnel, puts the mitre ball down in the, in the wee quadrant for the corner. Runs up, 
whips this corner in, and I kid you not, it bounced twice before it reached the 18 yard line. <laughs> and there was just <laughs> silence. <laughs> and Jim was like, come on then, back up the stairs. <laughs> it was just, it was so funny, but everybody was too scared to laugh because they were like, oh dear. But so, to be fair, United, they've, going back to those days, they've always been a club, you, you don't know until you try whether the boy's good or not, but they've always been a club that will try players from different markets. And and very often, even when it hasn't worked out, it's about they're not suited to Scottish football rather than they weren't good players. Walter yeah. being the one, the one exception, he just wasn't a player at all. So Walter, remind the listeners, and, I, and I'm sitting here thinking this is the case, was Walter the one that actually turned, turned, it turned out he was actually a waiter in his country? No, no. He, in no. fairness, he was who he said... The, he, they did sign Walter Rojas, the Walter Rojas. He just wasn't very good. But oh, by yeah, the yeah. T- by the time he left, it was he was a taxi driver in Buenos Aires, <laughs> and it was his brother that was the player and stuff like that. But but he was a footballer. No, he was a footballer. He just wasn't very good. The the, the proof of the pudding was. No, nobody called Walter Rojas went on to be the superstar that they'd promised us. But did they? Did they? I mean, if you remind remind me again, did they? I've, I've got it in my head that they spent money on him, like maybe like three hundred thousand pounds or something like that on him at the time. Or I think it was a six figure sum, and it was yeah. they, they signed a few Argentinians and Uruguayans at that time. Uh, uh, and as, as I say, some of them were decent players, but struggled struggled to uh, fit in. To Scottish football, but uh, Walter was the was the one. So Walter, Walter was the one who stood out for all the wrong reasons. I'm afraid. So I mean, I think the difference between him maybe and Matthew Kujo is I don't think this will be an expensive signing. I think I, I get the feeling that there's not a lot of money love exchanged hands over this. Uh, it's more about tapping into potential of a player and a point I guess about his development. He's he, uh, this move is subject to a work permit, so there will be a period of time. Waiting to see. However, he has he is he did win the um, under twenty African Cup of Nations with Ghana, and he played all six games. So he does have an international background. So whether that ticks the boxes that is needed to to speed up the work permit process, I don't yeah, know. The, the great thing we're talking about thirty years on as well now, and it, it is a situation where communications are so much better. You can see players and. And, and and people have developed contact, contacts all around the world that, that that weren't there in that day. So you're not going to be in that situation. I think whether whether this lad makes it or not, yeah, you know he's a he, you know he's a young player of great potential. Yeah, and I think I think we often find I mean it's it's changed over the years, but a lot of players when you sign them from African clubs, maybe they they've got the natural ability, they're technically gifted, but maybe tactically they're not as as switched on. You know, maybe, maybe because maybe maybe this I don't know that's that's a stereotype because obviously African football has evolved dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. I mean, we've we've got we've seen a lot of African sides come and compete really well at World Cups and things like that. So and we've seen an absolute abundance of top, top class players coming out of African clubs as well. So there's obviously a lot of natural talent in, in Africa and it's just yeah. finding that right player, you know. And, and I, I think as well, Ewan, what's happened is, as tends to be the case, is African nations, other, other, other parts of the world where football was developing still over the last 30 years into the major sport, if you like. Understandably, everybody wanted to be Brazil. But I think over the last 25 years, they've realised that the big money to be earned is in Europe 
So you want to be a player that's suited to play in the European leagues. And that means you have to be more physical and more tactically aware than than when they were watching, you know, clips of Brazil on an old black and white TV and saying, oh, I want to play like that. And we were we were the same as kids. You know, you all, you all wanted to be a Brazilian player because they had the flair. But now, now people, countries, coaches are now far more aware of if you're developing players and you want to be successful, there is a model and it does tend to be the European model. Yeah, and I think that, that was the point the journalist I spoke to was making as well, was that in order for him to adapt to the European game, obviously the, the point that Bear's making about getting a, a winter coat is absolutely spot on because, I mean, I mean, the first thing he's going to have to do is acclimatise the weather because I'm willing to hazard a guess. I've never been to, to Ghana, unfortunately, but I'm willing to hazard a guess it's a little bit warmer in Ghana than it is in Dundee. Um, so he will have to do that. He'll have to acclimatise. But I think if he's, if he's slighter framed and if, you know, smaller there is that fear that maybe he'll get knocked off the ball a little bit by some of the physical defenders we'll talk about a physical defender when we go into Dundee section um there is that fear but but he's 18 he's young he's got promise and if he can if he can work on the aspects that that need to be developed if he's got the natural ability and the flair then Dundee United could have a very promising talent on their hands it's a great place for him to be because you know that if he's got the ability he'll get the opportunity Exactly, and I think that's and I think as Barry pointed out, I mean we've seen that time and time again this season. Keir Smith is the prime example of a sixteen-year-old being pitched in ahead of a far more experienced Mark Reynolds at Celtic Park, um, and he and he, uh, albeit his last performance, he, he was pitched in at half time when Charlie group pulled off injured. It wasn't Keir's best display, but he's he's a very talented player and and. Tam Kurtz is not afraid to to do that. So he will get opportunities at Dunyate. Is it probably at the best club in Scotland for that level of development? So we'll just wait and see. Yeah, hopefully we're seeing and hearing a lot of Matthew Kujoi in the months and years to come. Moving on to a probably briefer than usual section on Dundee because... They're still on their holidays, for goodness sake. Bear, what's happening? Oh, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely mini-season break, um, if you like that sort of thing. Who 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 schedules an international break and then semi-finals of the, Ewan knows the right name of the League Cup these days. This is where you jump in, Ewan. Uh, <laughs> I've no... Pr- what no, 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 no. You weren't listening, were you? He wasn't listening. He wasn't listening. I was saying, you know the real name for the League Cup. Oh, the Premier Sports Cup. That's of course, a, I, 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 was actually, I was actually, I, no, I was actually Googling it to find out because I always get it wrong, you know. So it's Premier Sports Cup. It's not Betfred Cup. It's not Skull Club. It's not Coca Cola Cup. It's the Premier Sports yeah, Cup. And it's, it's a prestigious tournament. Uh-huh. But I mean, almost certainly, and it was almost certainly going to be Premier League teams. It's, it's unlucky for Dundee and whoever else has lost games this weekend. Why would you schedule the semi-finals of a competition that would lead to the postponement of league games after a two-week break? Yeah, I mean, for, for, is, I mean, for me, football is entertainment, but for these clubs, it's business as well. Yeah. You're talking yeah. about clubs going maybe three or four weeks without a home game because of the international break and then these semi-finals. It's just a, it's just bizarre scheduling. Yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite mind-boggling actually, Tom. I mean, there's a couple of things here, a couple of aspects. One from Dundee, from a playing point of view, um, I know that 
the last game was Celtic, so maybe they could have done well a little break after that, that game because they got a bit of a run around. But uh, three weeks off in the middle of your your season is is never good, never good. You know, to keep players sort of ticking over and to keep yeah. keep them active and you know to keep them match up to match match fitness. I know Dundee for a, a bounce game uh, this week against Hibs, and I think they'll probably schedule another one at the weekend. Certainly for maybe for the start of next week if they can get something fixed up, but. It's never great, and you you just wonder when Dund- Dundee are in a situation where they're going to they're going into a crucial period. So they're going to you really want them to get off that flyer, and their, their next game is you know on Saturday week at Dens Park against Motherwell. It's imperative to pick something up from that game and, and get up the festive season, the festive run of like off to a very good start. So there's that aspect from a, from you know a football playing side, but there's also another aspect, as you say, football is entertainment, and it's it's habitual for fans to go along every Saturday to see their team or every second Saturday if, you, if you're just going to home matches. And, and, and fans get out of the habit. You, you don't yeah. want to have sort of huge gaps in your season. And we seem to have more and more of this. And I understand fully now. I mean, I used to, I've got to say, it used to, you know, and irritate me, shall we see the international breaks, especially where they were featured. They would come in right at the start of September. You know, the season had just started in August. Boom, you're in an international break. I'd get going again, boom, it's, it's October, it's another one. And then now we've had, we've had the third one in November. And, you know, that, that I've got to say that irritated me, but I'm not sure, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure if that was because Scotland weren't very good at that point yeah. in time. And I found the international breaks, they were meaningless as far as being a Scotland fan. Now, what we've seen over the last, obviously, two or three international breaks, they've been fantastic if you've been a Scotland fan. They've been really good to watch because we've been in there challenging for, you know, qualification and things like that. So it's become a lot more interesting. And I understand you've, you've got to fit these things in, in the international calendar, but you're right. Who at the start of the season thought it was a good idea to have the Premier the Premier Sports Cup right on the back of an international break? I don't think that's, that's good planning whatsoever. And, you know, you, you wonder now if they'll look at it and, and maybe hopefully change it next season because you, there are, I mean, you're right, I don't know who, who other who else is missing out. Yeah. There must be some other clubs that are missing out on and are going to have the three-week gap. But it's not good for the it's not good for, not good for uh, the, business. The, the teams themselves and it's not good for, as a spectator viewpoint, it's not good for that and keeping people going along to football matches, which at the end of the day, that's what the, all the clubs are trying to do. I mean, you knew, you've touched on it already, you, you actually previously worked in the West, so maybe closer to the ruling uh, bodies than I was. What, what is it? Is it just thoughtlessness or is it obstinacy that they're like, ah, oh, we're having our, we're, we we always want to have it at this time of the, the semi-finals at this time. So we're having them and we always have an Is it a sort of, and they're all in the same building too, but, but I just find it bizarre that there isn't some sort of joint scheduling between the SFA and the, uh, and it used to be the, the Scottish League and the SPL. Now, now it's just the SPL or SPFL or whatever they call themselves this week. Yeah. Well, they are, obviously the international breaks, they're set in stone now by, uh, is it FIFA or UEFA? FIFA, yeah. Yeah, FIFA, FIFA set that in stone and we, we know the dates years in advance now. This is going to be international and, and they've be, I've become accustomed to the timetable but I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of almost... They've not really thought it through, um, and 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 Dundee are obviously one of the victims of this. They've not really thought through how's this going to impact on a club that that might not get to the semi-finals, but the team they're playing against is in the semi-finals, so they can't play that week. Um, 
and it's really not it's really not great for Dundee. But what could Dundee have done differently? I don't know. Could Dundee have considered? I don't know financially it would allow them. Could they considered taking the players to go away for warm weather training or do something different to maybe build the team spirit? You know, to foster foster because I mean that that's something that's going to be crucial to Dundee this season is is the togetherness on the pitch and off the pitch. Could could that have worked or is that would the funds not have allowed for something like that? Um, they shouldn't be put in that position, of course, at this stage of the season, but. Would that have been a, a something different to consider for Dundee? I think if they were going away together politically, it would have had to have been somewhere within Britain. Of course, of course. I remember, mean, remember, yeah. remember Celtic under yeah, Neil Lennon no. got blasted for going abroad. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that that's a very fair point. It is a, a point I should have thought of myself. But you're right. It's not really the the time to be going away to do that. But maybe somewhere in Britain, yeah, maybe something like that. It's it's very yeah. difficult for them though because they they want to just bounce back, um, and they've got too much time to. To, to divulge and dissect everything that's gone on um, before the before this enforced uh, break, you know. Um, of course, I mean Hibs, Hibs are another team that have had this kind of long term enforced break, but that's for other reasons as well, you know. So they've they've obviously missed games due to to a COVID outbreak at their club, and they, they've they've you know, they've barely kicked a ball. The silly bullies. Yeah, they've barely kicked a ball in the last couple of months, yeah, though. So. Aye. Um, so there, there are a few clubs that are suffering yeah. for this. So yeah, it's also the fact you go from sort of famine for Dundee to feast, wherein you've no games for three weeks, and then suddenly you've got nine games. I think it is over a five-week period through December, and then obviously the, the derby match at the start of January. So players have, have, have very quickly got to get themselves back back into a lot. That might not be a bad thing, to be fair. You know, the games will be coming thick and fast as long as you're you're not picking up injuries and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's a strange one for me, Tom. But Beard, all, we always go, oh, one, one positive of a break is you let injuries clear, but mm. one negative of games coming thick and fast is it increases the chance of injuries. And the more you get into the programme, as well as the normal injuries, you get injuries from fatigue because players are playing too often. You do, Again, it's you do. Jurgen Klopp there. And that's, that's something... They're human uh, beings. It's something that uh, you know Dundee and James McPake in particular will have to contend with, as all them all the managers do. And you you look at your squad and you look at the depth of your squad, and hopefully you know you've got you've got enough sort of players to get through that. I mean Dundee have had a few injuries over the last few weeks to like say Sean Byrne long term and and Killian Sheridan, you know. Um, so you're just hoping that they, they, they don't pick up any more injuries but with, as you say the fatigue factor kicks in and that's when players do get injuries because you know they're pushing a bit hard and they get muscular strains and stretches and things like that so Dundee are, are hopefully going to have enough uh, enough in the, in the tank to get them through this, this next this next period because let's be honest at this point in time it, you know you're, you're looking at the table and, and you're still saying okay you know, Dundee are, are sitting just above Ross County who are at the bottom, but there's still quite a number of teams within striking distance. I think what you're going to find now as we go into this Christmas period over the next sort of, the, you know, the, the nine games or whatever it is, that the table will become, you know, more realistic and where you expect your season is going to go. So by the start of January, you know, you will you certainly don't want to be, you know, looking up at a lot of teams. You want to have yourself safely in that sort of, Mid-table section, I would suggest for Dundee, you know, and uh, that's why it's so vital through December that they have got players fit to to, to play in all these games. To, to again go against my best nature and be positive is the one thing that they could make, you can maybe spend in these prolonged breaks when things calm down. You don't have the emotion of preparing for a game and then reacting to a game is 
Maybe James McPake's had the chance to sit down to his players and say, convince them that they are Premier League players if if they need it, because he can say, well, look, look, look at we've had the the six 0 defeat at Celtic, the disaster at St Johnston. Uh, we got well beaten by Celtic again, and that's what that tends to sort of live with you because the fans are not happy and they're shouting, and people like me are moaning. But you probably you got a two-two draw with Hibs when Hibs were flying and probably sh- should have beat them. You made a mis- one mistake against Dundee United, uh, and but for that we'd have had a deserved draw. You got a great result against St Mirren. You've beaten Aberdeen, and then. And if you take away the two Celtic games and the St. Johnson game, you have been competitive. Now, now's the time just to sort of get the consistency. It, it, it can be a positive that you can, you know, accentuate a lot of the, the good things that they've done. Yeah, I think you do, Tom. I think that's, that's what you've got to do. You've got to highlight the positives. I think the big positives for me are, and it's something that they've managed to do is one, they managed to get the, their first league victory, obviously, that was against Aberdeen. They got that monkey off their back. But secondly, they managed to go away from home and get the win against St Mirren. Now, that tells you that they're capable of doing that. They're capable of picking up points at home, but also on the road as well. You know, for, uh, uh, we've been in situations before where Dundee could not buy a win yeah. away from home in the top flight, and that really hurts you. It really kicks in because you look at teams like Livingston who come up with shock results here, there, and everywhere. You look at other teams like like say Ross County who have obviously come to Dens and, and and turned them over. So Dundee had have proved have proved to themselves that they can do it. And as you say, the big thing is consistency. How can you can do it on a consistent basis? How can when you're when you're when you're playing well and the games that you've done well, make sure you get the three points. And the games that you haven't done so well, make sure that you make it so difficult for the opposition to get the three points and you, you come away with something in games. They're, they're, they're actually, there's actually more satisfaction. I mean, I know the fans probably wouldn't say this, but there could be more satisfaction in a manager for a team who has maybe been put on the rack for 90 minutes, but you come out of there with, with, with something to show for it. And it shows you've got a, a, a team there that are fighting for the cause. I think, to be fair, I think that, you know, I think that that's one thing you can't level at Dundee this season. You know, they have like that bar that night against uh, Ross County, when I've got to say, apps, I mean, everything went for Ross County that night. It was one of those nights where Dundee were particularly poor. Even the boys who have been playing really well this season were poor. But for Ross County to, to score, a team who had only scored two goals away from home all season, they scored, but I think I think they got had six shots at goals and five of them went in. You know, that, I mean, that's just... Yeah. This, I mean, Ewan's a start man. I mean, that's that's so unusual mm-hmm. for that for that to happen. And and the goals were terrific. I've got to say as well. And uh, on that night, but Dundee have got to, as you say, take a look at what they've done positively and but get out the traps quickly. Get out the traps. We've got a great opportunity. I saw Mother. I mean, fair play to Motherwell because I, when I went through there at the start of the season, and I saw that game, I thought Dundee should certainly have come. They shouldn't have come away losing that game, and they lost one down. But I still thought that Motherwell would be one of the teams that Dundee should be looking to overhaul. Now, fair play, you know, to Motherwell. They've gone on and picked up results. And even when they had that wee dip there, they've gone up to Pretoria and had a great 2-0 win up up there. So Graham Alexander's done a fine job. And you can see that there's a big gap between them and Dundee in the tail. But I still think it's a game where Dundee should be targeting three points from. I, I I think Dundee, I mean, obviously I don't see an awful lot of Dundee but the key thing for me is that Ross County game I mean they lost 5-0 and for me I was, I was looking at a result and thinking god that's shocking and yeah. Dundee fans were 
desperately unhappy that night. And I know there was the McMullen marching off unhappy because he'd been subbed and everything. But look at how quickly they bounced back. So that, to me, tells me that the manager still has the dressing room. The manager's still capable of turning things around because they, it took them a couple of days and they, they went away to St Mirren and won a game. That, for me, is massive. Absolutely massive. You, can, I just jump in, can I just jump in there? I'd say the great thing about that was they only had two days to stew on that game. They only had 40 hours, to basically, to turn it around and then they were into Saturday again. I would dread to have thought there was a three-week break after that game well, against Ross County. How they would have managed that? Them, yeah. On that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, yeah, but you're right. Sorry, you. No, it's a good. No, it's it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, they, they bounce back quickly. I mean, the the, the pressure. Probably, I was saying. I was going to say the pressure was mounting on James McPake after that Ross County game, but the pressure would have possibly become insurmountable had there been no game for him to respond to very quickly. But he did. He did get the response and. Dundee for me are a battle inside. They've got some quality in there as well, and I, I, I still think that Dundee will be okay this season. You know, and and if if Dundee fans are content with tenth, which I think would be a a very good season first back up, then they can look to build next season. So so it's just getting over this. It's the festive period's crucial, yeah. like you say, with nine games in that period, a lot can be won and lost over this Christmas period. And Ewan, because you like a start and you like to be positive. You've come up with a nice Lee Ashcroft piece for us. Yeah, Lee. Do you know Lee? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think there'll be there'll be a lot of sorry there'll be a lot of Dundee fans will probably appreciate what Lee Ashcroft brings to their side. You know, I mean, not just in the in his own penalty box, but in the opposition penalty box. I believe that in this calendar year he scored nine goals, which is great for a central defender. Um, and looking at the Opta stats, so. Um, this is actually a piece that uh, my colleague George Cran did. Um, he's he's got the, he's had the most aerial challenges in the Scottish Premiership, so he's at eighty one. He's had the most blocks with eighteen, and he's only behind Ryan Edwards in terms of clearances. Ah, the real reason. See, you had to get United into this. I did. Yeah, he's I Dundee did. Dundee without placing United. Yeah. yeah. Always playing second fiddle on United. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. Sorry. Sorry. I'll be. Yeah, anyway. a moment silence. <laughs> Just as well, I'm covering Dundee United and not Dundee. I'd probably lose my job. I was covering Dundee and I'd said that. Um, no, but I mean, in, in all seriousness, that underlines to me the quality. So I know statistics don't tell the full story. I know that. I, I know that you can you can sometimes say, "Oh, we, we had 25 corners, but we still lost five 0 You know, so at the end of the day, but but Ashcroft for me embodies the type of player that I would want if I was a Dundee supporter in a battle down at the bottom. A player that's got that's full-hearted, that's going to give everything, and you know he's going to stick his head in. I mean, how many times has he walked off the park and he's maybe had a cut to his head and he's had to bandage his head? He's going to give absolutely everything he's got for the cause, and that's what Dundee need. Yeah, and I think you, you say stats can be overrated, but if you're a striker, the stat that matters are is goals. If you're a defender, surely the stats that matter are stopping goals, and that's what blocks and tackles do. And he, I mean, yes, you, you see him every week, Bear, because you're yeah. daft enough to pay the money. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> no, because loyal enough, I meant, obviously. And he does, he does a very good job, and he was he, very well thought of at Dunfermline, and a lot of their fans were disappointed when he left for Dundee. Yeah, he's a, he's a you know what, he's, he's a, as you say, he's, a, he's the sort of epitome of what a, a centre-half for me in Scottish football should be. He's a big, rugged, strong, 
strong world player and he's the sort of guy that... A 21st century Bobby Glennie. He, well, he is. He is, but Tom, as, where Dundee are currently in their in their development, let's say, and, and you know, where, where they're going, you need players like that. You need players, as you said, want to put their, their head on the line and, and, and just get blocks in and... He's just been terrific. He's been a terrific signing right, right from the word dot. And as I've always said about centre-halves, that their job isn't just to, to stop the opposition. Their job is to get goals as well. And, and for too often at Dens, what centre-halves who never, ever looked like scoring. And I hark back to the days of, um, you know, like said, Brian Irvin at Dens. And Brian Irvin was a great, obviously came came down after his, his spell at Aberdeen. And, but still had a lot to offer and a similar sort of role, actually. You know, he, 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 he was powerful and got his head on everything at the back, but scored quite a number of goals from yeah. set plays. And, and that all that always, in, in the bigger picture at the end of the season, that all mounts up. And I think he is the sort of guy that, in the team, you would look to. You would look for, when things were maybe not going your way, he, I think he's the sort of guy you would look to, to, to raise spirits and, you know, say, come on, lads, we can we can still turn this around. He, he looks that sort of sort of player for me, and I think Dundee are quite fortunate to have him playing for them at this point in time. I always think, even in the modern game, though, the first thing defenders have got to do is defend. Yeah, I, got, I mean, to go to go to the, the, the other extreme, if you like, from Dundee, and, and and I love him as a footballer, but the boy Trent Alexander at Liverpool, I totally understand why they rave about his ability, but equally, I understand why Gareth Southgate has reservations about picking him for England because he doesn't actually defend very well he's a world class player with the ball at his feet but he's a defender who too often is on the wrong side is in the wrong position when the other team's got the ball and to me that's that's a fundamental weakness in any defender because defenders have to defend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's also got a guy like Kyle Walker at Manchester City who's Who's, and the boy, as you say, is more of a defend, yeah. more of a defender, ah. yeah, but can can get forward when he wants to. To be fair, but, I mean, I know we're talking about a different level, and it's a it's a different. Yeah. But I must admit, for me, if I, if I've got to pick, and 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 it's horses for courses as well, as you and says Dundee in their first season there. If I've got to pick between Lee Ashcroft and a ball playing centre half, who who the weaker side of his game. Is tackling. I go for Lee Ashcroft every mm-hmm. time. I would as well. The, the first thing, the first would. thing you do is defend, and he can. Pa- I mean, he, you've got even at Dundee, you've got a player like Charlie Adam in the team. You've got a, a creative players like Paul McGowan. He can pass the ball ten la- yards, Lee Ashcroft. So there are others he can give the ball to that will do the creative stuff. And I think you, you, too often his type of defender in the modern game. And I'm, I sound like an old fart, quite frankly, but I think it's I think it's a fair point. Too often, defenders like Lee Ashcroft are overlooked or dismissed because they're not they're not fashionable, if you like. But but see, we'll go on to talk about Scotland in a minute. I would imagine if the host decides to do that. But um, but I think that's that's been some an aspect of Scotland is that they've got two ball-playing central defenders that can take the ball out, go on a run, start moves and things, but they've they've always got somebody like a Lee Ashcroft figure in there, a Grant Hanley, somebody that's going to clear the ball, um, that's going to that's gonna do the, the defensive duties, and I'm with you 100%. I would take somebody like Lee Ashcroft over any ball-playing central defender, any exciting uh, dribbling player that can come out of defence, 
any day because that's what Dundee need. They need a leader in, in the heart of their defence and I think they've got that. Sounds like time to move on. Ewan, chomping at the bit, mentioned Scotland at the end of the Dundee section there as well as praising Dundee United, just to remind Dundee fans of that again. So, Ewan, have, A, first of all, have you managed to recover? Have you, are you back from Moldova safe and well? And did you get to Hamden on Monday? Yeah, I managed them all. Managed them all, and I managed to do all the all the COVID procedures that you have to go through as well when you're going away. Um, Sorry, uh, the yeah. only procedure that we saw from you on social media was the bottle of vodka you bought that was less than <laughs> half price. And oh, that's the, it is that, here. that's the top procedure. That's the most important. Yeah, no, I managed. I managed all of them. Um, Moldova was amazing. A, a very a, 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 an incredible place to go and visit. Um, I think I think it's an old Kevin Bridges sketch that you see where he where he. He says that people rate their holidays based on the cost of a pint, and it is kind of a bit like that when we're Scottish. You know, we do we do say how was how was Spain? Ah, oh, no bad, three euros a pint. You know, how was how was Moldova? Euro a pint, magic. So um, it was a. <laughs> if we talk about the drink aspect, it was probably there was some bars it was one euro a pint, and then other bars it was maybe three or four. So there was more swanky places there. But in terms of the football. Moldova over in Moldova, it was a very professional performance from Scotland, wasn't it? From start to finish, you know, it was a banana skin waiting to happen. I was, I was, I was, I was haunted by uh, what Barrett said a few weeks ago about Georgia. That was in my <laughs> mind the whole time. Georgia was on my mind the whole time. <laughs> I was away to sing there <laughs> the whole time. I was away. I genuinely was. I was worried. I was worried right up to kick off, and I'm always optimistic with Scotland, but I was so negative about it, thinking. We're just going to not turn up tonight, and then it's going to be turning up desperately needing a result against Denmark to have any hope of even getting in the playoffs. But um, they were so comfortable all the way through, and there was a moment where I was sitting in the in the stadium. I was right next to the corner flag, and it was a moment in the second half when we were cruising, and Billy Gilmer's coming down with the ball to take the corner flag, corner kick. Sorry, and the adulation from the supporters and the look of sheer joy on Billy Gilmer's face. That's what seals it for me with this Scotland team right now. We've got players who, Billy Gilman, I'm not going to build him up anymore than needs to be built up. He's genuinely world-class. Um, and we've got a player of that ability who absolutely loves playing for his country. And that's the that's the key to the success of this Scotland team. Look at the image we saw on the bench towards the end of the Denmark game where some of the guys had been taken off. You know, you had Andy Robertson sitting there. I think Billy Gilmer was one of them as well. And they were captured just before the end of the game, absolutely beaming with joy and, and pride and happiness. They want to play for Scotland. That's why we're successful, because we've finally got a core group of players. We maybe um, remove Ryan Fraser from that at the moment, given what happened with him. Um, but we've got a core group of players who want to play for their country. And the supporters, there's such a connection between the fans and the players right now that I'm really excited about the future for Scotland. Yeah, it was good. It was, I mean, I would smugly point out someone on this podcast did suggest that uh, they might break with tradition going to Moldova and have a comfortable 2-0. <laughs> that wasn't to say, me. That was me. <laughs> was that? Ah, you know. <laughs> Actually, it might have been, you know what, that's an, an age thing. It might have been George. I think it was me. Well, it was one of us anyway, and I'm taking credit because George isn't here. <laughs> I wasn't like that during the game, but it was. It was. A, it was a very, very controlled performance. And then, bear they just, you know what? I was sitting watching the game on Monday night, and it reminded me. 
you always remember most. There's, there's other ones, France, uh, when they won one nil with the Gary Caldwell scoring and stuff. But I remember two games in the eighties in the World Cup campaigns, them beating Spain and them beating mm-hmm. France, who weren't the France that won no won the World Cup in nineteen eighty eight. But it was actually uh, ten years before that. They, they did have, I think, the boy Jean Pierre Papin was the World Player of the Year and stuff like that. And France were expected to win that group. Mm-hmm. Scotland. Just as an aside, Scotland won that group and France said, this must never happen again. And 10 years later, won the World Cup for the first time because they <laughs> totally overhauled things because they said, it's not acceptable. But it reminded me of that because suddenly it was like... Sorry, I was just going to say, did France at that point in time, did France not have some sort of age bar on their national team and say that nobody over the age of 23 or 25 is going to play an international team now for the next few years? So they basically yeah, started... Yeah, it, it was the but, late Gerard Julio yeah. who, who, who was given the job of revamping Very young side that played it. for about aye. four or five years and reaped aye. the benefits from it, wasn't it? And, but but the point being, they they, they were... And funnily enough, France and Spain, France and Spain at that time were probably comparable to where Denmark are just now. Only you would much better was expected of them, but there were sort of top top fifteen clubs uh, countries in the world at that time, and Scotland mm-hmm. beat them and qualified on the strength of great Hamden Knights against them and stuff like that. And it reminded me of those sort of those sort of days that they went out there and. and and it's, I mean, you and sees them, sees them home and away, but under Steve Clark, it's it seems to be that right mixture of passion, but brains as well. Yeah, they're very intelligent, aren't they? I mean, I mean, if you if you hark back to the game in Austria when we're one 0 up and we're in the dying moments of that game, and a naive Scotland side would be still going for it and trying and swinging a ball in the box, giving it away, and then there's a counter attack and we lose a goal. But what are we doing that night? We've got John McGinn going down pirouetting round players, dancing with the ball and then and then getting a push in the back and then that's the end of the game and then he kicks into the crowd and celebrates. That's the level of intelligence we've got and John McGinn epitomises that that intelligent play and it's because we're streetwise. We've got, we've got, I think, looking at the squad, I think we had 11 players that are playing in the English Premier League. They're streetwise, they're playing at the top level, not just getting an odd game here and there for an English side. They are key players for their clubs and that's what's been brought into this squad is, is players that know how to win football matches. And sometimes over this era, it's not always been the most exciting football. Sometimes we've kind of wondered, oh, is it? But it's starting to get exciting football. I mean, look at that move in the, in the first half of the game against Denmark where we were defending our own box and I think there was seven one-touch passes to get to the other end and, and Shea Adams just as a shot uh, blocked. I mean, that was incredible. That if that, ball had, if that ball had gone in the back of the net at the end of that move, we would be talking about that as being one of the best goals Scotland have ever scored. That's, yeah. that's the level of football that we are playing now. So we've got a, a, a very tight-knit uh, group of players that have got a great connection with supporters, but there's quality there as well. And there's youth. So we've got a young yeah. side, a quality side, great connection with fans. Honestly, this is a this is a side that if we get if we get past these playoffs and we get into the into the World Cup, this is a as a country that I would back to be getting to major tournaments for the next two or three major tournaments because I think they've got that enough quality about them to do that. Yeah, and mean you mentioned the quality of football. The other great thing is if if we doubled the length of this podcast there's not enough time to mention all the players that are playing well and and you've mentioned Billy Gilmore who I think he's one that will be a focal point of the team for the next decade hopefully and is a 
a player any squad squad in the world would want in their national squad. But what what one thing that's caught me partly because he doesn't even get a game for his club is the, the young boy Nathan Patterson. How far can he go? Yeah, he, I think he can. Yeah, sorry, you know, just just going to going to jump on your thunder here. I know you've hit both the games, but um, what I've seen, he, 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 he so much potential. Certainly going forward, Tom. I think in the attacking sense, he, he gives you he gives you so much uh, with pace, energy, control. Um, I, th- I still think he's got a bit to go defensively, but that that will come. That aspect of his game will certainly come. But um, the one thing I will say, and, and we've spoken about certain players, is and and you're talking about Billy Gilmore. He must love playing for Scotland. Of course, he must love playing for Scotland because it's the only place he gets a game at this point in time. I've got to say, <laughs> he can't, he can't <laughs> love playing anywhere else because he doesn't. <laughs> he's he's looking for international breaks every second week, but uh, I think that I think that may change very shortly. Um, but yeah. Even when Nathan Patterson isn't there, you know, you, you've got a guy like Stephen O'Donnell who you, you absolutely trust to do a job yeah. in that position. Go back to that thing, he's, he's strength, the defending. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Clark seems to have done that, you know, over the last 18 months or so, two years. He's he's now got a player uh, for every position. He's got he's got replacements who you don't go, oh, this is going to be a dodgy decision. He, he might be up against it here. Because because so and so's not playing, we're going to have to bring in somebody else. It's not like that now. We seem to have cover all over the park, and I think the penny has finally dropped it. At international level, at the very top of international level, you must keep the ball. You must be able to, yeah. to play the small, intricate passes to keep possession, because that's where Scotland frustrated Denmark. Because normally it's the other way around. If you keep giving the ball away against these teams, they will hurt you big style. But now we've got a nucleus in there. We've talking. We've, we've spoken about Gilmore. You've you've got guys like uh, like John McGinn who who's been in there. You've got guys like you know uh, Andy Robertson, uh, Kieran Tierney, Carl McGregor, who I've always thought was a, a fantastic player at yeah, Celtic. I think I think, I think, Ra- I think Ryan heroes. Yeah, I think Ryan Christie as well. I think Ryan Christie lost his mojo a wee bit last season. I think he. That, you know, as a spell at Celtic was coming to an end. I don't think you had a fantastic season. I think what was going on, um, obviously, in, in, in league, his league form wasn't great, but he's now had a, a new lease of life going to Bournemouth. And you see, these guys can all play. And it's great because you can trust yourself then to keep the ball. They all know what they're doing. And, and it's great to watch. And long may it continue, Tom. Yeah. Now, we're running short on time. So we'll finish with a question. Something I put to bear before uh, you arrived late, Ewan. Just saying, like, just saying that a complaint's not for me to say. I'm not your timekeeper. <laughs> but if Scotland, because I'm not as optimistic as you, but I'm, I think they've done great. But if, if Scotland win their semi final, once the draw is made next week, we'll know who they get. And, and the, because they beat Denmark, they get a home game. And they're avoiding in the semi-final the likes of Portugal and Italy, who are surprise uh, inclusions in the uh, playoffs. But if they win their semi-final, even if they don't reach the finals in Qatar, just reaching the final of these playoffs, will that not be a more noteworthy and laudable achievement than getting to the Euros? Because as great as it was, and the, the night against Serbia was magic, it was a, it was a very backdoor route to the Euros. But this is like this. They've 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 been on a great run. I think they've won more points than they've ever won in a World Cup qualifying campaign. 
they've beaten it. They've beaten one of the one of Europe's top sides now uh, to finish second in the group. They've done very very well, and uh, the wee fear I have for them is if they don't reach the finals because they end up with an Italy or a Portugal in the final playoff game that they're they're drawn to. They're just beaten by a top top world side, and people will go, "Oh, we'll fail to qualify again." But actually, it's a They've they've made huge progress in this World Cup qualifying campaign, all in all in this calendar year. Yeah, yeah I, I I I I don't know because Bear obviously answered this off here, so I'll try and answer it all. <laughs> I I think you're right. I mean, I think they got 20, 23 points out of thirty. Um, the only behind Portugal as the top, the highest placed second side on the by virtue of goal difference. That highlights how good Scotland have been. They've won six games in a row. They've they've had five clean sheets out of six. Um, and they've gone away to Austria, beaten Austria, you know, which is not any by any mean feat. And then, and then they controlled and dominated a game against Denmark, who by rights could have reached the the final of the of, of Euro twenty twenty had it not been for a, a dodgy decision against England, you know. So exactly, we 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 do. I'm I'm with you on this. I mean. We do, let's let's focus on trying to win this this semi final though, and I'm not going to get too carried away about that. Even though I'm Mister Optimistic, I'm still looking. There's still some danger in that pot that we could get. I mean, we can get the likes of Turkey, who I wouldn't I wouldn't be too happy about playing against. But we could we could beat Turkey. Poland is it depends on how if Lewandowski's playing or not. But if he's no, playing, I, he's a I major think Poland threat. for me are the one to avoid. Yeah, even North Macedonia. You know, I mean. They they went. I mean, they've 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 had a funny campaign when you look at the results. They've been up and down, but they did go away to Germany and beat Germany in their qualifying campaign. So they're not they they can't be poor. Um, they were at they were at the Euros as well. Um, so yeah. I mean, there, there's no poor poor sides. But I think looking at it, I think out of the the list of sides we've got, I would like us to draw Austria because I think that we had the beating of them at Hamden as well as away from. On home, so I'd like us to draw Austria, but I think with a packed Hamden we can get that. And then the second game, it depends on the draw. We could get another game at Hamden because the draw could be kind to us and could say, "Well, if you win your game, you're going to be home in the next game." So we could have two ties at Hamden, which I think is key to the whole thing for Scotland. If we have two games at Hamden with a big crowd behind us, um, we've got every chance of going through. So, Barry, your turn to answer the question, and also, who do you want in the semi-final? Yeah, I mean, I look at North Macedonia only because I don't know too much about them. To be to be perfectly honest, um, Tom, and I think we could we could take them. But I think the Scotland team at Hamden Park. The I've Greeks said that. hate them. That's yeah, what I, think I know. Yeah, I think I think they can beat anyone. And, and when it comes to the, Steve Clark, is again, I've said this in the past. I think he's a lucky manager. I think he's a very good manager. But I think he carries luck, and I'm, I'm hoping that that continues. And, and we are given another home tie. If, if, if we can get through the semi and we're given another tie at Hamden in, in the final, uh, I've got to say you you really do want to. I, w- I wouldn't like to go away to have to have to be Italy and Rome or wherever it may be or Portugal um, away from home. I think that could be a tall order, but I wouldn't bet against bet against Scotland. But we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves. We've got to get through the semi final first. And I'll be honest with you, the way they're playing at this point in time, you would fancy their chances against any of these teams that are on the right hand side of that draw at this point in time. Especially at Hamden. Yeah, they've all got. I mean, you, you talk about Poland and Lewandowski. They've, they've all got somebody in the ranks that could give you give you problems. But Scotland, I think that any team in that se- section would rather go a few other places and come to Scotland. That's for, that's for for sure. And I've got to say, Tom, we've won. I think it's was it you and six games on on the bounce now. I think they've won. Mm-hmm. And you know, if they were to do this, 
and go and win the next two games, this this would have to go down surely as the greatest the greatest qualifying campaign ever. I know Tom, we've maybe pipped other teams in the past, likes of Spain and likes of France, but for for sheer endeavour and getting himself into this position, I think it would have to be. I mean. I think just looking at where they are now, and when you look at the group, you think they should really qualified with that sort of run. But unfortunately, it only buys you a semi-final spot in the playoffs nowadays. So um, they're going to have to do it the hard way. But uh, the way you know the way they're playing, you just wouldn't bet against them. Exactly. Final word, Ewan. Or do you want to know why the Greeks don't like the Macedonians? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, you'd threw that in there, and I didn't even know that. I'd like a little bit of history. Or... I learned this on a holiday. It was just, it was a holiday. It was, it was just after Greek. When did they win the Euros? Two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. It was that summer. It was just after late that summer. They just and, a, and it was a barman explaining to me. It's all and it's the reason why Macedonia became North Macedonia. It's all about. It's not a personal sort of people against people thing. When when the, Former Yugoslavia broke up. Macedonia named itself Macedonia, and the Greeks went radio rental because the province of Macedonia is in Greece, as in Alexander the Great was a Macedonian and a Greek, and they how and it's a, po- a political uh, stushy as well. Um, Greece is trying to block Macedonia from all sorts of things unless it changed the name. And the compromise was to add North before Macedonia, because ask any Greek and they'll say the real Macedonia is in Greece. It's not that made-up country, and that's a true story. <laughs> Magic. That was that was duller than one of your stats, you know. Can't be any. Maybe we need Maybe we need an edit for that. <laughs> yeah, I bet the listeners didn't know that we're going to get that sort of information when they uh, queued into two, two teams, one street this week. You get you get any nonsense from me. Anybody that used to read me in the telly knows that. I'll thank you both, and I think we'll need to end there. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people find Twa Teams One Street, and that means a lot to us. Don't forget to pick up your copy of the Tele Monday to Saturday for all the latest from Dens and Tanadice or go to thetele.co.uk to find out how you can get the paper delivered right to your door. <laughs>